Welcome to King of Glory Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoyed this week's encouraging message. For more information, please visit kingofglorycc.com. Um, do you all have the first slide? Do I have? Oh, experiencing more God. That's amazing. I have no idea how that works, but I really, uh, that's, I love that. Um, what I want to talk to you about is something, well, what I call it is experiencing more of God or how to keep from developing a hardened or cold heart. There were a number of times in scriptures when Jesus would admonish his disciples because of their lack of faith in their hardness or the coldness of their heart, which meant that they were not in sync with him. And um, we believers want to be in sync with God. We want to have a heart that is tender towards God. Here's what he has to say, what the Holy Spirit has to say. And we do or are ready to do in uh, whatever he tells us to do. Uh, and you need to know that what I'm sharing with you this morning, <laughs> I'm in the process of learning. I'm not there yet by a long time, a long way, but my train has left the station and I am on my way. I know that. I'm excited about it. Um, could we have the second slide, please? I only have three slides, I think. The next one, whatever the next one is. It should be uh, Romans 1. Um, Romans 1, 18 through 21 says this. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness because what may be known of God is manifest in them. For God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his, God's invisible attributes are clearly seen. We look around the mountains and you have to be a fool not to believe there's a God. Uh, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power in Godhead, so that they are without excuse because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were they thankful but became futile or vain in their thoughts and their foolish hearts were darkened. That is not a place I want to be and I'm sure you don't want to be there either. What they did not do that I want to talk about, they did not glorify God as God, they were not thankful and their, their thought processes led them down tracks that were not good for them and were not effective. Um, and because they failed to do these three things, their foolish hearts were darkened. Now, the scripture says they knew God. I'm guessing, I don't know what the scripture doesn't say. I'm guessing these are probably religious leaders that Jesus had trouble with and wound up killing him. Uh, later, they, they were good on the outside, but they didn't know God up from Hogan's goat probably on the inside. And so that's why they were in the trouble. They had these darkened hearts. I want to look at the three things. They didn't glorify him, glorify, magnify, uh, exalt, raise up. We can't make God bigger than he is. He's big as he's going to ever get. I mean, he's just it. But what we want to do as believers is make his greatness and his bigness in our heart a real thing so that we know that we know that we know that no matter what comes down the pike, my God is first in the universe. He is number one. Uh, what I've been doing for the last, well, for a while anyway, from the time I wake up in the morning 
um, I start thanking him and I start praising him. I start telling him what a good God he is and I'm so thankful for his love for me. For me, um, it's just, it just amazes me that when I look back on my life and I see the different things, experiences that I've had and, and that God is so patient and loving of me. But he is, and he is with you too. You know, it's not based on your performance. He loves you because you are you. But, but I find that as I do that, and, and, and then I just continue it during the day. I do Thursdays and Fridays. I do a Meals on Wheels routes about an hour and a half through Swan and Noah. I spend much of the time just praying in tongues, and I have been amazed at what happens along the way. But I, as I thank him, I'll point out a beautiful tree to him, like he didn't make that tree and know it's there. You know, he says, thank you, Jim. I made that just for you so you can see it. But, you know, I get excited. I, I thank him for, do you realize, well, I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit because I'm, I still want to just make sure that what, what I do through the day before I start thanking him or as I'm thanking him is just bless him. Thank you, God. You, you know, God, there is nothing. Is, Satan is nothing. You exposed him, Lord Jesus, as a zero. And so I'm just praising you. I'm thanking you that you are greater than anything. I exalt you. And as I do that, do you realize that I am convinced in my little mind that he is all the things I'm telling him that I think he is? Which is... Which is the, the reason for doing it in the first place. I want to get to the point. Well, let's go to the next one. Let's go to the next one. They were not thankful. And, and so I, I just thank him. Um, this is indelicate, but I, I thank him for toilet paper. I don't know if you've ever, if you've ever had experience in an outhouse with the slick pages of a Sears catalog, but <laughs> toilet paper is a wonderful gift that God showers upon us. I, I mean, indoor plumbing, when it's rainy and cold outside, how cool is that? You turn a handle on a faucet, on a shower, you get hot, instant hot water. Push your button, your house goes cold or cool or heat, depending on what you want. I'll bet most of you this morning hopped in your car, drove to this place, never gave it a second thought. Do you know what a blessing that is? you know how many people can't do that? I mean, Maryland deals with people at ABCCM who have trouble just getting from one place with a bus or a friend. Folks, we could start this minute thanking God for things, and we would still be itemizing things when Jesus shows up and takes us home or comes in the flesh, one, whichever. Okay. The value of thanking God to me on a continuum, and I do this until I go to sleep at night. I just keep thanking him and making, pushing myself to do that because he becomes more real. He becomes more of a giver. He becomes more of my, my Abba, my daddy. And, and um, it just seals. When I'm thanking him, I'm just more and more convinced how very good he is to me and how patient he is with me. The, um, the last thing they didn't do, the, their thoughts went down a bad trail. Um, and and their, their futile minds became dark. And futile means vain. It also means incapable of producing any result. Don't want to be there, do you? Ineffective, don't want to be there. Not successful, useless. 
Do you want to be a useless Christian? Of course you don't. We want to be powerhouses because we are walking with the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, and I've got two minutes left. All right. Um, let me read you this scripture. 2 Corinthians uh, 10, 3 through 5. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, that is, of the senses, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments in every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity. Our thought, our big, uh, the main battle we have with the enemy is that he has control of our mind. I mean, not control, but he can put thoughts in our minds. And a lot of the thoughts we recognize, that's a lustful thought, that's an envious thought, that's an angry thought. I'll grab you, send you to Jesus, I'm not going there. And then I just, when I do that, I turn and start praising God because I don't want to take that thing back. And when I'm, my attention's on him, it's not on that. Um, but here's the reason of that I think believers ought to practice these three things that these guys didn't. Bad things happen to Christians and other good people. I mean, really bad, devastating things. We can get new bad news that wants us, sends us to our knees. Our heart wants to hide under our toenails. It's so bad. Uh, when we are constantly thanking God, raising him up, knowing that he's above every circumstance, he's a better, bigger than any person, circumstance, anything, situation, report. I don't care if, the, if I go for an, uh, an annual physical and the doctor says, I'm so sad to tell you, you have an operable brain tumor. Well, either I'm going home or Jesus is healing me. You know, I'm not buying what you're selling. And I'm not collapsing and falling. And those, I've tried them both. We can either collapse in a pile and go into deep, dark depression and, and bad misery. Or we can say, Father, this is a really bad report, bad news, bad phone call, what situation. But I know you're greater than anybody, anything. You're greater than the situation. I'm holding your hand, and I know you're going to walk me through it. And I'm standing strong in the situation. I refuse. Jesus said not to let our hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid, because he gives us a special peace that is beyond our comprehension. And I'm not losing that peace. I have made a, co a covenant with God. I don't care what comes. I don't care. You are first, and I'm walking with you. And the worst that can happen is, is we die and go home. Uh, Joe Jane just gets, well, she... she gets jealous of the people that get to die before she does because she's ready to go home. Well, I am too. And that's going to be a wonderful place. Um, anyway, that's what I have shared with you and why I think we need to practice. We need to be, when, when the bad times are not here yet, we need to be ready when they hit. So we say, God, not going there. I'm with you. And we're not, this, I know the situation will either change or we're just going to walk it through it. I'm not losing a piece of joy. Let's pray. Father, we bless you and love you. You are just so awesome. You are so awesome, Father. And Lord Jesus, you to give yourself the way you did for us so that to break down the barriers so that we can have direct access to, to the Father. Holy Spirit, you, you are with us all the time. You empower us, teach us, comfort us. We just bless you and love you and thank you for doing that. And I ask your blessings, Father, on each person within the sound of our voice. Help us, Father to learn to raise you so high in our estimation and, and our perception that nothing else can rattle us. At, and that we would hear you clearly, we have tender hearts, 
and be totally obedient to what you've called us to do. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Hi, guys. So um, what I was given to speak on is the value of every generation. Um, I'm going to start out with a story, actually, about why my family is at King of Glory. So um, my mom will tell you she doesn't know how she made it to King of Glory, the first service. She swears an angel drove her to um, that service. And so me and Preston were there. We're totally mad that we're there and not at our normal church. And um, we leave that Sunday, and mom's like, we're going to go back the next Sunday. And I'm like, you're crazy. Um, I was not happy at all. But um, that Sunday, my brother... Uh, somehow got pulled aside by Daddy Fine, and he's talking to Daddy Fine. And at the time, we called him Mr. Fine. And um, an adult walks up and interrupts the conversation, and Daddy Fine goes, hold on, this young man's speaking to me. And he turns back to Preston, and Preston was talking about, like, Power Rangers or something. It wasn't, like, anything important, but, um, but he found value and that Preston was speaking to him. And so he goes to my brother, he goes to my mom that day and he goes, Mama, I was talking to Mr. Fine today and an adult interrupt, but he still spoke to me. He still listened to me. Our old pastor doesn't do that. And so um, my mom decides this is the church we need to go to because they see value in the generations to come. And since I was six years old, that's been instilled in me, that there is value in each and every generation, each and every age. And I love it. Like, until I went to Kansas City, I didn't realize that most churches aren't like that, that they don't, they don't let the little ones speak. They don't let them come and dance. It's you need to stand by my side. And I'm not dogging other churches. Don't get me wrong. Um, I'm just saying, like, I love that at King of Glory, there's a value at every church, I mean, at every generation. And so um, if you have that verse in Joshua ready, um, uh, I'm going to be going from Joshua 4, 5 through 7, and I'll give you a little backstory. Basically, um, the Israelites are coming into the promised land, and they're just about to cross, but they haven't yet. And the Lord tells jo Joshua to collect 12 stones and so Joshua does that, and he says, Cross over before the ark of the Lord your God, the ark of the Lord your God, into the midst of the Jordan, and each one of you take up a stone on his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of Israel, that this may be a sign among you when your children ask in time to come, saying, What do these stones mean to you? Then you shall answer them, that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord when, it crossed, when you crossed over the Jordan. And the Jordan, the waters were cut off. And these stones shall be a memorial to the children of Israel forever. And um, about a year, maybe two years ago, the Lord really started putting the generations and unity between the generations to come on my heart. Um, and just standing on the generations, like, before me, shoulder, and raising up the generations to come. And he started speaking to me from Joshua, these exact verses, and how what the Lord was doing was he was setting up stones. He was saying, put things in place to where your children can remember where they come from. And so um, I, w I love that I get to see that in my life, and I want to see it more. I love that Mama Eliza has set um, stones of remembrance before, that I get to come 
I get to hear the stories of, and she gets to say, but you can go farther. You can go deeper. And I get to take that and do that with the children I come like I babysit and I minister to back there and even the youth ministries like I get to say stand on my shoulders I want my ceiling to be your floor so you can go so much farther than I ever could and it's not because my generation isn't as good as the one to come it's because I'm setting them up for success and I love that. I love that Mama Eliza and Daddy Fine have set me up for success. I love that the Caros and Miss Betty have said, I want to set the coming generations up for success. It's so beautiful. It's so beautiful. Mm. I love, love, love that Sayla, not all of you know her, but when I found out she was going to be born, I, I started praying. I want to be her mentor. I want, I want to see her go farther than I could, just like Cherie did for me. And I love that I get to see that. I love that she sits in the car and she starts telling me dreams she has. And she's like, this is what the Lord's telling me right now. And I get to say, I put some of that in there. Like, I sewed into her, and I get to see her go farther than I did. Because at five years old, I didn't have the understanding she did. Not even close. And yet she's going so much farther than I could already. And so as I was continuing to pray about it and just what, what it looks like to set a generation up for success, I was reminded of Hezekiah. Um, and I didn't give this verse to you. I'm sorry, Aunt Julie. Um, but it's 2 Kings um, 20, uh, 16 through 19. And um, my heart was just broken when I thought about this um, and how I've, I've seen it in my generation. Um, and I'll tell you why in just a second. So it says, then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, hear the words of the Lord. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and what your fathers have accumulated until this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord. And this is Isaiah speaking the word of the Lord to Hezekiah. And they shall take away some of your sons who will descend from you, whom you will beget, and they shall become eunuchs in the palace of the kings of Babylon. And this is Hezekiah's response. The word of the Lord which you have spoken is good. For he said, will there not be peace and truth, at least in my days? And it struck me. I see it in my generation how it, at least I have it good right now. It doesn't matter that the coming generations won't have a good ceiling, won't have a good foundation to stand on. That doesn't matter because I have peace right now. It doesn't matter that, you know, they won't know where they're going because I have it right now. And so the results of this is Manasseh, his son, I believe that was his name, turns out to be one of the most evil kings Judah has ever seen. And his son after him is evil too. And it takes a couple generations before another king raises up um, for the Lord. And it wasn't even a father that raised him up. It was a mother that came up and said, I'm going to fight for my son. And so um, I guess, like, I only have two minutes, so I'm going to wrap it up. What, <laughs> what I'm trying to get at is like, I love that this church is able to so well put a high ceiling for us, uh, for the coming generations, um, and that where I'm standing now is farther than they, they're going to 
go, and not because I'm better, not because my generation's better, but because they've set me up to go farther. What I don't want to see is Hezekiah's response in myself or in the generations behind me because they're where I'm going to start. And I don't want to see it in my generation because my kids are the ones that are going to be standing on that ceiling. And um, yeah, that's pretty much all I've got. Hello, hello. Um, I'm just going to, thank you. Uh, I'm just going to jump right in this morning. I want to talk a little bit about worship and uh, why worship is important. Specifically, a worship when we're talking about the generations and, uh, and going from generation to generation. So I'm going to jump right in. Uh, I'm going to be in John 4. Uh, and I'm going to be reading about this, uh, the story of the woman at the well. It's a very familiar story. You guys, uh, she knows it. She's like, yeah, I love that story. <laughs> it's a great story uh, about Jesus meeting this, this Samaritan woman. Um, Jesus, he's on his way to Galilee, and he stops at this well in Samaria where this woman is drawing water and, uh, and asks her for a drink. And she is weirded out because Jesus is a Jew and she's a Samaritan, and that is not okay. And so she asks him, like, hey, you know, you do know that this is weird. You shouldn't be asking me. Not only am I a Samaritan, but I'm also a woman, and that's weird also that this communication doesn't typically happen. And so uh, Jesus says, you know what? Actually, if you know who I were, you'd be asking me for water. And so she's like, well, what are you talking about? And he's like, if you knew who I were, you'd be asking, and I'd give you living water. And, uh, and, And he says that the water that I have you'll drink and you won't get thirsty again. And she's like, well, hey, I really don't like carrying this bucket back and forth. So if you have water that I will not thirst for from afterward, then great, let's do that. And, she said, and Jesus is like, yeah, that's great. Go ahead and get your husband. And she's like, oh, wait, I don't have a husband. He's like, actually, you're right. You have five. And everybody's like, oh. <laughs> and, and so Jesus reads her mail and, uh, and he's like, not only do you have five husbands, but the guy you're living with is not your husband. And then it's like, oh, but this lady, <laughs> the funny thing about this lady is that she doesn't, she doesn't get offended. She's not like, uh, whatever, Jesus, and walk away. She, she is struck in her heart and is, and is drawn by curiosity. And so I'm going to pick it up in verse 19 where she responds. So he tells her, You know, you got five husbands, and also the one you're living with is not your husband. Verse 19, the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. She's like, oh, this guy's reading my mail. He must be a prophet. She says, Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where you ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. Verse 22, you worship what you do not know, we worship, we know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship him. Verse 24 says, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. And so this woman uh, is has this realization that this Jesus that she's speaking with must be some kind of religious figure. And so 
she must have been having this internal battle about worship because the first thing she asks is about worship. And so she brings this question, and she's like, well, by the way, since you're a prophet, I have a question. Where do we worship? I've been told it's here. I've been told it's there. And Jesus cuts through all of the religious craziness and tells her, listen, it's not about where. It's about with what. It's your heart. The Passion Translation, uh, verse 23, it says, uh, from here on, worshiping the Father will not be a matter of the right place, but with the right heart. And so worship, you know, uh, a lot of times we talk about worship like it's music or like it's art or like it's uh, dance. And those things are expressions of worship. But it's really important that in our heart of hearts we know our worship to God has everything to do with the position of our heart and very little to do with the, the stuff we call it, the song. Songs are great. But, it's, but Jesus is telling her, listen, it's about the position of your heart. The word worship, it actually means like to kiss. It's this intimate posture of submission. And, and, and Jesus is calling us to be worshipers that, that don't just sing songs or dance. And those things are great. Don't, don't get me wrong. Uh, that's what I do. I play guitar, I play drums, right? But... Uh, but Jesus wants us to know that when we talk about worship in our lives, if we are going to worship, then, then it's this posture here. Hold on. Stop taking pictures. Come here. Help me out. It's this posture. I was going to do this with Samuel, by the way, but then I realized uh, worship means to kiss, and that would have been awkward, right? So, <laughs> but so worship is this picture. <laughs> I would have been like, I was going to do it with Samuel, and I was like, I'm going to kiss his hand, then it would be weird. But anyways, so uh, this is my wife. She's eating. It's, I like kissing her. <laughs> Yeah, it's not this random woman, by the way. <laughs> He's kissing this random woman. Um, so worship is this picture of submission. It's not like, you know, it's not like, hey, yeah, worship, ooh, you know, or like, like man, worship, whatever. It's worship is this very intimate, like, on your, like, almost on your face, kissing this hand. It's, it's this very intimate thing. And Jesus, thanks, babe, you're good. <laughs> And Jesus wants us to know that worship is uh, an expression. It's uh, the, the, uh, the position of our hearts. And so as we're talking about what worship really is, <clears throat> I was praying about this morning and just uh, overwhelmed by how important it is that when we, when we talk about uh, worship and when we live, because, you know, it's, it's a lifestyle. Worship, when we know the true meaning, it's not about songs. It's not about uh, things we do. It's about how we live. Are we living in a way that is absolutely submitted to Jesus and his will? And if we do that, <clears throat> what I've learned is that uh, it impacts generations. And so I have children. And so this, you know, I've learned this lesson with my children. <clears throat> Excuse me. But uh, what I've learned is that it's not just about, like, for me, for my children. It's about me, for my friends, for my family, for my coworkers. Like, my worship, the position of my heart matters to those people around me because if I can live in that way, then my worship impacts their lives. Yeah. I'll give you an example. So, um, uh, just a little bit about myself. I, I come from a broken home. My dad uh, left my mom when I was 14 or 15. And uh, my, both sides of my family, there's a history of addiction. I mean, it is rampant throughout my family. And I work, so I work with, uh, I've been working in the addiction field for almost 10 years now. 
And uh, it's funny, I work with all these people and, and uh, I've learned that, man, I didn't, I, my situation, I should not end up as good as things are right now. Like people from broken homes with a history of addiction, like those are the people I work with. Those are the things when I talk with them about, hey, how did this all get started? When did this go wrong for you? A lot of them talk about their family life or, or their history and their family of addiction or just different things like that. And it taught me that, man, I didn't have a good chance. But when I was 14 or 15, right around the time my parents split, I started going to this church and I just fell in love with Jesus. I just fell in love with who he is and what he was to me. And I realized that I wanted this posture. Like I didn't, like singing songs was cool and, and, and dancing around was, was fun, but I just wanted my heart to have this posture of absolute submission. And I wanted Jesus to take my life into his hands and to do what he wanted with it. And it's interesting, you know, um, my grandfather, on my dad's side, my grandfather, he cheated on his wife. My dad cheated on my mom. And it's just been a generational thing. And shortly after Chris and I got married, we just talked about how God really set us up in this position to be pilgrims for our family and how he set us up to turn and change the direction that our generation was going completely. But it all started with this position of our heart. We are committed, not just for ourselves, but for our children, that we're going to be in absolute submission to Jesus. Because we know that he's the one that changes the whole story. Because that's what he did. I'm a living testimony of that. I should not be like this. Uh, my, my, the odds of me ending up successful were very low. And Jesus came and said, actually, I'm going to change that. And so I just want to encourage everybody. It's really important. Uh, not just if you have children, but if you have family members and you have friends, you have coworkers, people around you, the, the, the position of your heart, your worship impacts them. And it, and it has the ability not just to create hope, but to change their whole story. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. So who had fun today? Can we give them a standing ovation? They were awesome. So while you're standing, I just want to um, think about the, I, there's a song that came out with Hillsong's I don't know, maybe seven years ago, starts out, I see a generation rising up to take its place with selfless faith. And I don't know if you, um, and I think about Ella and just the rain and the, the storm, and I just, I feel the Holy Spirit wants to extend an invitation. If you would just hold your hands out and just say, I want to be a part of that generation. Would you rain down on me? Would you show me where my place is in this time, in this season? Holy Spirit, we ask that you would pour out your spirit upon each one of us in a fresh and a powerful way. Father, you said that all flesh, 
all flesh, all sons and all daughters. And Lord, I ask for the anointing and the power of the Holy Spirit on each one. Lord, I pray where there's been any lie the enemy's been whispering saying, you don't have a place. Any lie that's saying, I'm too old, I'm too young, I'm too much, I'm not enough. I just break that now in the name of Jesus. And Lord, I ask that you would speak truth. And Lord, we as a people, we ask that you would teach us how to be one united generation in this time, in this season, in this region. Lord, I ask that you would give parents wisdom in how to prepare a room for you, Jesus, to encounter their children. We ask that the children would have visitations with the living God, that you would mark their hearts at a young age, that they would just desire to be in your presence and to know your ways. Father, I thank you for the older generation that has made a way. They've paved the road. Lord, and they're wondering why am I, what am I, why am I still here? What am I waiting for? Lord, I thank you for the prayers that they've been crying out and they continue on. They may not have the same stamina they used to, but Lord, you've given them mighty words of power and encouragement. Father, I thank you for those that have walked before us. And Lord, I ask that we would be full of your spirit and that there'll be a double portion anointing for those coming up behind us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to King of Glory Sermon of the Week. Connect with us on Instagram at KOG underscore Asheville and on Facebook at facebook.com slash KOG Asheville.